We don't have to be smarter than the rest. We have to be more disciplined than the rest. That's how we want to approach investing. Disciplined, structured, goals-based, so you can enjoy your life. What is up? Welcome back to the Wealth Programmed Podcast. Today we're talking about the psychology of investing. Thank you to everybody who listened to the first episode. You can find it through Buzzsprout. There's a link at solo.to slash propathfinancial. Or or you can find it on Spotify and Apple, your Apple podcast at the moment. Those are probably the best place to find it. So thanks for watching and listening. I guess listen, I should say. You can't watch it yet. Sorry. I think I'm a popular like movie star, but I'm not. The majority of this podcast is going to be about the psychology of investing, but we'll get to that in a second. As usual, we always got to talk about sports and fitness and athletics. And back in high school, we had a Montana Hall of Fame basketball player and coach named Craig Finberg. He was my high school basketball coach. Coach Finberg had a legendary saying. He would always ask, are you a jock or are you an athlete? Now hang with me, this will make sense here in a little bit. That saying seriously echoed through the halls of my high school like that stupid Journey's Don't Stop Believing song does at every bar in America. It's almost like athletes would chant that song in the high school hallways. But the phrase had a deeper meaning. It was trying to describe how being an athlete had more dimensions than just being a jock. Similar to how an investor is less multidimensional than being a planner. They're not the same. Going back to jock versus athlete, a jock was just a sports guy. He wasn't a books guy. A jock was an individual. He wasn't a teen guy. A jock was not a community guy. He was a basement type guy. A jock was very narrow-minded in their approach to life, but comparatively, an athlete was not only a sports guy, but was also a scholar, a worker, a grinder, a giver, a listener, a leader. An athlete used their gifts and skills to enhance the people around them. There was some sort of humility and a drive that was in their mind, and they had a pure desire to grow with the information and the athleticism and gifts that they had around them. Jocks were too cool for school. And you know these people. Think back. If you played a high school sport or even a college sport, there's always that player that thinks they're just a little bit too cool for school. But there's also that player that is very talented, that thinks bigger, that has more in store for them. That's how we want to approach investing. And I see this all too much where people are quote unquote investors when they need to be planners. What happens is that exposes poor behaviors, poor behaviors in athletes or jocks in high school and college making bad decisions. They don't train hard, maybe party a little bit too much and they limit their ability to maximize their potential. But planners People that are trying to build wealth, they view 
the skill and the development and the process is something that can be learned and can adapt to their particular situation. So we're going to go through a bunch of details on the difference, or I should say the psychology of investing and how becoming wealthy is simpler than you might think. Now, I want you to envision a pyramid right now. People have used this analogy a lot, but envision a pyramid. And divide that pyramid moving vertically, not vertical lines, but just moving vertically up the pyramid into three sections. So there's the base of the pyramid, there's the mid-level of the pyramid, and then there's the tip of the pyramid. As we work through the psychology of investing, just think of these areas of the pyramid as the foundation is investor behavior. It's the most important thing. The mid-level of the pyramid gets a little bit more technical. The asset allocation and the security selection and the quote-unquote market timing, which we want to try to avoid. And then the tip of the pyramid are taxes and estate planning. Taxes and estate planning are really important, obviously. Taxes almost encompasses the entire methodology of investing. It comes into play but it's just something to help fine-tune your process. And estate planning is really important because it helps make sure to pass these assets that you accumulate to the people that you want in the most efficient way, depending on the state that you're in. But it is really important in this overall process to understand investor behavior first, the technical aspects of asset allocation, security selection, at the very tip top, which is really important. It's a part of the pyramid to finalize it, taxes and estate planning. But just remember, investor behavior. Speaking of investor behavior, one of the greatest investors of all time, the name pops into everybody's brains when they think about great investors, is Warren Buffett. He had a famous quote, we don't have to be smarter than the rest. We have to be more disciplined than the rest. It's a testament to you can destroy a great investment by making an emotional decision, maybe selling too early, not hanging on long enough, or trying to time the market, or not reading enough or learning enough about the company to make decisions, and you're not completely well-versed on the social economic policies around the world that lead to investment performance. You're just using the wrong methodology. This can lead to envy and loss first, which hopefully can help to building discipline in the long run, but you not listening to what Warren Buffett says about we have to be more disciplined, you're trying to be smarter, you're trying to outsmart everybody can really lead to you looking back and feeling envious and maybe even experiencing some loss in your investment portfolio, which is something that we would like to avoid in the long term, which hopefully one good thing we could take away from it, a silver lining, if you will, is maybe building some discipline. I were just talking about this, as a matter of fact, something that's happening here in Arizona is housing is booming as fast as I've ever seen it. And what happens with a lot of investors is the herd mentality where they start to feel regret, where they think they should be buying, but they look back and they always go, oh man, I, I should have bought then. I wish I would have bought then. Oh, that would have been a great investment. This could be a great investment. Hindsight is always 2020. It's kind of the lottery ticket effect. Like 
you, you know someone or you hear about someone winning the lottery, hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars. And you're like, man, I should have bought a lottery ticket. You feel a lot of regret. You're envious of those people buying houses at certain times or selling them at certain times or buying lottery tickets or picking a particular investment and hanging on and selling it. And you're just thinking in that one particular experience, in that one window of time where all you're doing is miscalculating the risks. An example of this, something that's very common is think about bronze medal winners in the Olympics. It's well known that bronze medal winners are happier than silver winners. You know why? Because silver winners wish they would have won gold. They're not grateful for what they had. Where bronze medal winners, a lot of times, weren't even expecting to be on the podium. But they made it. And they're so excited. A lot of times, investors view themselves as the silver winners. Where they should have gotten something like it belonged to them. They should have gotten that return or made that decision. But they make excuses and so they're upset about what they received. Where in all actuality, it might be better to think like a bronze winner. Just be grateful for what you have earned in whatever investment you have if you're using the right strategy. Example I'm going to use, and I'll try to link this in the show notes as well, that you could potentially download for yourself to look at if you can't keep up with these numbers, but I'm going to try to explain it the best way I can. I'm going to try to explain the ups and downs emotionally between the S&P 500 and its process from 2000 to 2020. So from 2000 to 2002, the S&P 500, a broad market index of the 500 largest publicly traded companies in our economy, that index dropped 40% from 2000 to 2002. At that point, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I lost money. And through that process, that two-year window of time, a lot of people sold, which compounded their mistake. But from 2003 to 2007, the S&P 500 made 82.9%. So it made everything you had lost back and more. And then lo and behold, in 2008, the S&P 500 drops 37%. Now, within an eight-year period, the S&P 500 had two of its worst drops in their prices, in its pricing, in its history. So people at this point are really, really fearful and starting to sell out. And that perpetual selling from a lot of investors is what drives down the price. So it slows down at 37%. But here's where it gets interesting. From 2009 to 2019, 2009 to 2019, a 10-year period, the S&P 500 made 351%. If you would have just hung on you would have been involved in one of the best bull runs in the S&P 500's history. Where at that point, you're kind of still frustrated, I didn't make as much. Quarter, The first quarter of 2020, COVID happens, the market's down another 30%, but that rebounds very quickly. From the second quarter to the fourth quarter of 2020, the market rebounds 70%. So that's the ebbs and flows and the emotions that come into play. But depending on your goals, ignoring those drops in value would definitely have paid out in the long run. And over that period of time, if you had invested 100000 bucks at the beginning of 2002, you would have ended at the end of 2020 
with $368,000. So at the end of 20 years, you would have taken hundred grand. It would be worth $368,000 if you would have just sat back and ignored the noise. Well, through that period of time, would have been trying to gamble. They'd have tried to have been buying and selling and waiting, sitting in cash and watching the news and trying to buy in at the right times and just filling themselves with a bunch of nonsense, which most likely would have reduced the return in the portfolio. Funny thing is, Americans spend about $73 billion on lottery tickets every year. $73 billion and the odds of winning the Powerball are 1 in 292 million. So the odds of you winning the Powerball are extremely low, but yet you're willing to take that chance and you're willing to wait. But in the stock market, you're willing to invest and sell off out of fear without giving it a chance and waiting. But I know historically the odds in a 20-year period of losing money in the S&P 500 or a similar index is literally zero statistically based on the entire history of the S&P 500. Investing for 20 years and just leaving your money alone, statistically, the probability of you losing money is at this point zero. Further, at this point, over the last five years, now this is up to December 31st, 2020, so basically 2015 to 2020, of individual stocks that are out there in the marketplace, 34% of them, if you were buying and selling individual stocks, kind of the Powerball approach, picking individual numbers and hoping to win, 34% of them lost money, whereas 66% of stocks made money. The variation of those returns could be wide. One could be 1% and one could be 100% in that period of time. But just know 34% of them lost money. So if you're out there picking stocks, if you pick 100 different stocks, 34% of them or 34 of them are going to lose money. Historically, that's what happened over the past five years. If you buy United States-based mutual funds or ETFs in the same five-year span as that stock statistic that I just told you, only 0.2% of them lost money. 0.2. And those are probably very targeted ETFs and mutual funds, like some specific sector like energy or industrials may have lost money in the past five years. So you're really limiting your ability to grow by picking individual securities. I guess I should say you're limiting your ability to grow. What I most like more, which could be more accurate is you saying you're really increasing your risk exposure when you may necessarily not need to. But just in the essence of getting good examples or giving good examples, let's this also this next chart will be posted in the show notes. But let me just talk about the potential loss and what it takes to recover that loss. So if you invest one dollar and over a period of time it drops to fifty cents, from one dollar to fifty cents, that means you've lost fifty percent in your return a negative 50%. But to get back to your dollar, it's going to take a return of 100%. You can run the math on this, basically taking the starting amount minus the new amount and divide that by the starting amount. So when you go $1 minus 50 cents, 
divided by $1, that equals minus 50 cents or 50%, I'm sorry. But if you take the difference between $1 and 50 cents and you divide that by 50 cents, that's a 100% return that you need to achieve the recovery from the losses from before. So just to fine tune that a little bit, let me give you an example. So if you lost 5%, you need to make it back 5.3%. If you lost 10, you need to make back 11. If you lost 20%, you need 25% to get back. Lost 30, you need 43. You lost 40, you need 67. You lost 50%, you need 100% back. If you lose 60% in your portfolio, to get back to your original number, you need 150% return. If you lose 70%, you need a 233% return to get back from that 70% loss. The way, direction I'm going with this is managing risk can be extremely valuable. Going back to my example of the returns from 2000 to 2020, those waves of down 40, up 82, down 37, up 351, down 30, up 70 over that 20 year period, and you would have taken 100 grand to $368,000. If you would have used a diversified portfolio that had some US stocks, some international, some small cap, some emerging markets, some and 40% bonds broken up between US bonds and high yield bonds, you could have mitigated those losses and those gains in that same window of time and made $375,000. I'm sorry, you could have taken $100,000 to $375,000, which is more than the 368,000 I mentioned before. It's the power of diversification. Too often are you trying to play the gambling game of stock picking and chasing returns and trying to outperform where maybe some diversification would be really valuable in your approach and cause you a lot less stress. Even then, you still need to stay invested though. To let that operate, you need to stay invested. Some more examples. If you miss the five best days in the marketplace, the five best days, which, to be clear, the five best days happened after big time downhill slides in the market, so you would have need needed to stay there and relax and not sell out and overreact. But if you missed the five best days, it reduced your portfolio return down over 20 years, 150,000 bucks. So let me repeat, you missed the five best days, which usually come in very down and volatile markets, you would have reduced your long-term return by $150,000. It's the value of staying within the market because the good days that you need come after bad days. If you would have missed 15 days, you would have reduced it down almost 300,000 bucks. And if you would have missed 25 days, your initial investment would have been worth less after 20 years. So let me repeat, over a 20 year period from 2001 to 2000, if in 2001 you invested 100,000 bucks, in 2020, it would have been worth $92,000 if you would have missed the 25 best days. You need to make sure to stay in the market in accordance to your strategy. Well, Thatcher, what if I need that money? What if I'm about to retire? What if I need to buy something like a house or a down payment or a boat? Great question. 
that money that you need for a down payment, house, boat, retirement, income strategies, whatever should not have been invested in the marketplace. You should have planned and prepared and allocated dollars to those short-term needs before exposing them to market risk. But that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. So what do you do from here? That's the big question. What do we do from here? Obviously, there are a couple quick things that you can do. One is turn off the TV and financial news. Just turn it off. You have to understand that they're there to generate fear so you keep coming back. Turn that stuff off. Another thing you can do, if you're not a do-it-yourselfer and you're really uncertain, and I'm not opposed to you being a do-it-yourselfer, but getting a financial advisor can really help. A lot of high-quality financial advisors really want clients to build the proper asset allocations and build a portfolio that's going to withstand the fluctuations that you're fearful of. And most importantly, they're going to help you if they're a good advisor, if they're worth their salt, they're going to help you build an investment strategy that's in accordance to your goals, your age, and what you want your future to look like. They're going to help you prepare for the worst before it happens because it's going to happen where the market's going to be very volatile. It happens all the time. But you need to put a plan and a strategy in place. Those two areas could help you with that. But if you don't want to go that route, you want to do it yourself, obviously on this podcast, I can't give very specific advice to you. If you want to chat it up and I can learn more about your particular situation, you just want to chat it up about where you're at, what you're doing, you can always reach out to me. But if you're a do-it-yourselfer, there are some really valuable tools that you can use at the custodian that you're using, whether it's Fidelity or Charles Schwab or Vanguard where they can sometimes help you build an asset allocation. Now, an asset allocation is your balance between equities in your investments, bonds, and cash. In general, the more equities you have, the more risk you're potentially going to have, but also more earnings potential. The more bonds and cash you have, the less risk and volatility you're going to have, but you're going to earn significantly less. So it's about finding that balance between 100% stock and 0% in bonds and 100% in bonds and cash and 0% in stock. And that's going to be based off your goals. That's just kind of square one. How that allocation is built out, kind of the middle of the pyramid, back to the middle of the pyramid, can literally depend on your age, your goals, when you want to retire, what your income is like. Do you use your investments for income? Do you have guaranteed income? Are you saving a lot? Are you investing a lot? What is your health like? These things all factor into how you invest and what you're going to do moving forward. But it's important that you kind of start there with your investment allocation. From there, you need to learn where you need to be investing, whether it's in IRAs, Roth IRAs, taxable accounts, trust accounts, 401ks, Roth 401ks, or anything of the like. All those account types that I just mentioned are literally that account types. They're governed by different rules that the IRS has put in place on how money goes in and how it's taxed then and how money comes out and how it's taxed. But in addition, how money, how much, I should say, how they are taxed throughout the ownership within the account. So the IRS just governs those account types and their taxation 
But in this day and age, you can invest in just about anything you want within those account types. So then there's asset location. So we've talked about asset allocation, account types, and now asset location, which maybe you want to put in a tax deferred account like a 401k, an IRA or Roth IRA, maybe high dividend paying investments or income based investments, because usually that income and dividends, if it's outside of a retirement account, is going to be taxable in the year that they're received, depending on the investment type. Municipal bonds would be an example, or an annuity would be an example with more tax deferral. But if you're investing outside of IRAs, you may be taxed. Maybe sometimes you can put those highly taxed items within IRAs to protect your current tax situation for the future. Then you can put more growth assets that pay less dividend income. You need to rebalance less within taxable accounts. But goals will definitely navigate where to put money and how to allocate them across account types. Going back to our jock first athlete example, this relates now to are you going to be an investor or are you going to be a planner? Are you just out there buying and selling stocks based off what you see on social media in the news or what the Motley Fool puts out as a great stock pick? No offense, Motley Fool. But that's an investor. You're just trying to guess and time the market and predict and hope that it works out in the end. Where a planner understands the diversification, the proper allocation, how it fits into particular goals. Once you work that plan, a more conceptual view, a three-dimensional view of your retirement and your future, then you start to think less about how to be the cool investor in the room. And you start to think more about how to be the secure, wealthy, successful planner in the room. Regardless of whether it's sports and athletes or investing in financing, financial planning, having the right behaviors is the most important piece. Behavior in athletics, behavior in financial planning, it's protecting and building your future. Start to do it now. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Take a look at the show notes for links to all the topics that were discussed. And stay tuned for the next episode as they're going to be dropping weekly. Make sure to subscribe and go to www.propathfinancial.com to learn more. Thanks. The jack rider's fuel got me hazy About to unpack all these things I've been chasing I've got visions in my head Like memories after death To be a legend instead Of something you can The information provided in these podcasts Is only to be considered helpful hints and education Nothing said in any of these podcasts Is to be misconstrued as specific tax, legal, or investment advice Consult with your tax, legal, or investment professional Before acting on anything discussed on these shows